everybody welcome to the crab lies podcast i'm your co-host john vargas and this is um i'm going to start with a disclaimer uh everything we say and do does not reflect the city of los angeles fire department i have trevor with me here and then our guest today is aaron woodward and i came across aaron when i was at the hospital just hanging out with my patient and i overheard aaron talking so passionately about everything going on inside the healthcare services and how we treat patients, how they treat patients. And it seems to be a very broken system and a very uh, estranged way things are done now. And the paradigm that she wants to shift in her perspective is so enlightening. And I had to just interrupt her conversation she was having to introduce myself and talk about Trevor and myself and our vision for behavioral health within our own department and the way we, we view things from you know a bird's eye view perspective and also within the trenches. And I believe that us as humanity as a whole, we have to start with the people in the trenches and the workers are the people that matter most because we're the ones out there treating sick people. And if we're not equipped with our own behavioral health and our own health how are we supposed to help sick people and in essence you know we have to be in a state of centeredness and a state of being able to serve and you know the the vision behind all this this broken system this very um, elusive way things are done now has to be coming to the light and in order for um, things to crumble. It has to be a rebuilding process. And I think we all can see that it's happening right now as we move through, you know, the lockdown, COVID, all these things and understanding, you know, what's most important is our family and our health. And if, you, if something's going to happen to humanity as a whole, what can they get to your health and your family? So Aaron, thank you so much today. And uh, go ahead. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad. Y'all. I'm glad we ran into each other. Yeah. So I'll give you a little background about me. I've I've been a nurse for, oh gosh, 12 years now, and then a nurse practitioner. So combined experience, I've been in the ER since since 2012, so quite a long time. Um, And I've been all over the country. I've worked in Florida. I've worked um, in Minnesota. I've worked kind of in a lot of different states, Arizona, and then now in LA. And... I have, well, there's a lot of things we could go on and on about life in the ER and life working in trauma centers. I've worked in level ones. I've worked in, you know, um, non-trauma centers and, and just everything in between. But mental health, we, we've all, every, I mean, you can't scroll through an Instagram post or on social media without running into some kind of mental health, you know, post or um, platitude or something. But I, I continue to be really disturbed by what happens to people when they come in in crisis, you know, and they come in saying they're suicidal, saying they're homicidal, and, and you guys obviously pick them up, right? You're picking them up. You see what you see in their homes. You see what they see when they've called nine one one, and then there's continuity of care. You kind of hand them over to us, and then what happens when we take over is it's really it's really sad, and I don't like it. And I feel like we 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 have to shift our perspective, and we have we have to change how we take care of these people. So I wanted to walk you and, and the listeners through what happens when you show up in the ER and you say, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm suicidal. I have anxiety. I have depression. I need help. I need inpatient treatment. And I, I was reluctant to ever bring this to light because I feel like 
part of me was like, well, you can't tell them that. You can't say this. You can't reveal this and pull back the curtain because nobody will ever go to the ER for help. No one will go. And right. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. And I suffer in silence. And there's many times where I'm like, man, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. Or, or my kids don't feel good. Or my loved one doesn't feel good. And I would not tell them to go to the ER because I know what happens. And that's mm. horrible. We got to change it. A lot of firefighters feel the same way. There's a yeah. lot of things that I would not go to the emergency room for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really sad. And being a provider of care, I'm trying to do the best that I can, but I'm stuck working in the confines of a system that is what it is. I, I can't change it right now. There's nothing I can do. So to walk you through what happens when somebody comes in and says, I want to kill myself or I want to kill somebody else or, and that happens a lot. We have a lot of people that are homicidal. You know that oh, or yeah. both suicidal and homicidal or in psychosis or what have you. I would say really quick in the last yeah. two years, ever since COVID and then like kind of post pandemic, the X factor to every single call has been some form of psych. Now we sure. say psych for psychiatric crisis or psychiatric disorder, but we've seen just so much more of this, mm -hmm. right? So it's not always black and white. It's not always like 5150. It'll be for us like so a complaint of chest pain, right? Sure. And then there's uh, there's another layer to it, of right? Course. It's okay. This guy's homeless. This guy's uh, non-compliant with medicine, and he's also got a psych history, sure. right? Or substance abuse, or or just circumstantial. Yeah, I'm seeing. This is what's yeah. really breaking my heart is that so much of it we all want to pin or we want to think about this a prototype uh, this prototypical person stereotypical person of you know someone who's mentally ill and they've got to be a substance abuser they've got to be homeless they've got to have a, a shitty job they've got to make bad decisions and poor choices and that's just not reality there's right. a lot of people who are just circumstantially unwell they just they're just because of their yeah. circumstances and they hold jobs and they live in a house and they may or may not have associated substance abuse disorder or they do because they're really trying to cope with like shitty circumstances yeah. and like poor life circumstances. So it's a lot of different types of people from a lot of different types of walks of life. And I think that's the thing too, is we used to, we used to be able to, you know, if you said, Hey, we're going on a site call, you could kind of like picture the call, sure. right? Yeah. Nowadays, no, we no. go into nice homes. We go into vacant homes. There's a lot of people that are experiencing mental health crises for the first time. Yeah. I, I've been on a, a lot of, you know, middle-aged men who are having their first panic attack. Yeah. And they have no idea have what's no going on. Clue. They have no clue. No clue. They think they're having a heart attack. Sure. Right? And so we want to rule that out first. But I've done a lot of coaching. And so I'm so excited to have like an insider perspective because for me personally, I've gotten treatment, you know, at clinics. I've, sure. I've done therapeutic ketamine. You know, yeah. I've done therapy. I haven't received mental health care at an emergency room. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <you>. if there, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, but if there's um, if there's an alternative, mm -hmm. if there's a better resource, uh, that's what I want to hear. Well, I think I, here's the thing. I think that when we, well, no, let, let, that's a little more downstream. Let me get back to what it what happens what to it's you when, when you sit like. down and you say, "I want to kill yeah. myself," or "I don't feel good," or "I need inpatient treatment," or "I can't go home tonight." Right. So this is, you don't have to be suicidal, but if you require inpatient treatment. And you, you, you know, we're going to keep you and we're going to hold you until you're evaluated by psych. We take all of your belongings away. We take your phone away. We take all of your clothes off and you get put into paper scrubs. They're either green or purple. They're oversized. You take off, we take off your underwear. We take off everything. We basically strip you of everything, everything. And we put you in paper scrubs and we put you in a room if we have a room for you. 
you may be sitting in a recliner with a whole bunch of other people that are feeling the same way oh, and yeah. you're, you're being observed by a sitter. So they call it, you know, it's a, <laughs> I love sitters by the way. Yeah. I mean, listen, sitters <laughs> I are great. Have an adopted Nigerian grandmother <laughs> yeah. who's a, a legendary sitter. I, 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 you're, that's exactly it. That, yeah. is, that is, that is she. And it's evolved a lot, right? So if we go to one emergency room and I'm going to try very hard to not say any names today, but there's one that we go to that has a private room. And then there's one that we go to that the, the quarters for psych patients has evolved because it's overflowed. It's overflowed. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's all dependent on, you know, ER to ER. Obviously some places are better equipped to receive so that, so EMS and fire will, will tend to take more patients there. But the bottom line is, is the closest ER and whoever's available is going to get the patient. For sure. So we strip you of everything. We take your phone away. We take your lifeline away. We put you in paper scrubs and you have no underwear on and you have to be chaperoned to the bathroom. Someone has to watch you take a shit, <laughs> excuse my language. And you're just completely that, that to me is tra- traumatic. Yeah. I don't know about you. Well, it's dehumanizing. It's completely dehumanizing. dehumanizing. Yeah. And if you say anything or you cry or you cause a fuss or God forbid you feel your feelings because you're not well, you're mm. mentally unwell, the provider, the healthcare provider, which I mean, sometimes has been me. I'm not going to lie. It is. I'm going to be really real. We're going to give you meds. We're going to drug you up. We're going to give you out of We're going to give you geodon. We're going to give you these big atypical antipsychotics to calm you down. And so you can sleep it off until we're ready to deal with you or until psych is ready to come evaluate you. And psych could be, you know, so your, your psych eval could be in the form of a, of a person or on a zoom call. And let me tell you something to really break it down. If you're in crisis and you don't have to be in full psychosis, you can be, and this may, I don't know if you've ever talked about this in your podcast, but there's a lot of people now experiencing depersonalization and derealization. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with those terms? You probably have experienced it and you didn't even know. I mean, yeah. Versions of it can come to like a fruition of like a general understanding, right? But you can go ahead and explain what those mean. Yeah. So depersonalization and derealization, they can occur independently or together. Um, and we can, unless we could dive deep down a rabbit hole, but we don't need to do that today. It's the feeling of not feeling real. I don't feel mm. real in my body. I don't feel real when I look in the mirror. I don't feel real. I don't feel like this is real. I don't feel like I'm real. The situation is real. People feel like they describe it as feeling like things are in slow motion. Mm. And it's just a really out-of-body experience. Now, if you're, Sounds terrifying. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I have never seen so much of it as I have even, pre, even pre-COVID. Honestly, even really? pre yeah, even pre COVID. But do you get that as a chief complaint, or you? They don't know what it is. Okay, they so just come in feeling unreal gotcha. and unwell. Um, and the reason I'm bringing it up is so I'm, we're seeing a lot of it, and a lot of it with younger people as well, and it's terrifying. And so it's it's almost like an existential crisis compounded with severe anxiety, compounded with just detachment from self yeah. and situation yeah. isolation from self and that was pre-covid truly it was i mean i'm sure covid made it a thousand times worse i think a lot of it has to do with social media that everything we see is not real that we've you know we've lost the ability to have human interaction and honestly and truly there are amazing people that are speaking a lot on this subject for sure but to tie it all back imagine now we strip everything away from you and we put you in a room you're completely isolated and now maybe we add drugs and pharmaceuticals into that mix and scramble your already scrambled brain okay and then we're gonna wheel in this tv this zoom you know call with a with a person that you don't know and you're not connected to and you're already feeling like shit isn't real 
And now you have a person on a fucking floating box telling you, like, it's just <laughs> think true. about how asinine it is. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's just not, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good for people. Yeah, and, we talked about it too, like how I gave you the kind of like a, a more, obviously it's like a extreme version, but we used to do lobotomy, yeah. you know, to patients. And sure. that was normal back then, yeah. you know what I mean? And now, I mean, we're medicating people to be numb right in this state of uh complete disarray of being able to decipher reality mm-hmm. so in essence you know just because we're using pharmaceuticals to do the same thing how is that any different and to, to put someone in a place uh just like uh you know a sanitarium that we used to have all over the country yeah and at some point someone was like hey we have to stop this this is not helping so what can we do to do this? Well, now we have pharmaceuticals. I mean, it doesn't seem as chemical bad lobotomy. as, you know, doing lobotomy, right? It's a chemical lobotomy. <laughs> so, I mean, it is it is pretty fucked up, right? Yeah. And and when we what we do is we just pick people up and we just transport them to the hospital. You know what I mean? That's we what move. we have to do. We move. We're just a we moving move them around mm-hmm. the city. And that's all we are in the system. You know, I know Trevor's talked about it like we're just in the underworld yeah you know we're in the crevices of, of the city of los angeles in every single alleyway and every single uh area that no one talks about or sees from 6 a.m in the morning to 6 a.m the next day yeah. in the middle of the night and in the middle of the morning it's it's just the gnarliest thing to witness it is. and when we're transporting these people bringing them to you guys in the er and this is like their last uh, part to really discover okay what am i going to get helped with right and now they're going to get what sent to a psych ward perhaps for maybe a few days and then get sent out to the street and yeah. a lot of times we see these people in paper scrubs <laughs> and they rip yes. them off and then they're then they're naked in the streets mm-hmm. and then we got to pick them up again and then it's a never-ending cycle yeah i so, had a guy last night who came <laughs> in and with a, with a hospital blanket that was dirty wrapped around him because he had lost his paper scrubs that he'd been wearing for long enough that they ripped and tore and he couldn't wear them anymore right so a suitable alternative was to put the hospital blanket around him this guy was naked underneath i mean this and he was actually a very reasonable gentleman i'm sure he had a a complex mental health history and substance abuse and all the things but yesterday you know evening he was very reasonable and very articulate and you know asked for his cane and extra pants and things like that and i'm like this is just awful this just like really sucks and i think you you bring up a great point that we just passed the baton right Mm -hmm. And so you guys pick up the baton, you pass it to us, and then we pass the baton to inpatient, whether you're inpatient for a medical reason, you go to the ICU, or you go to behavioral health, whatever your complaint is, right? We pass the baton, then they pass the baton, and so on and so on, until that person is back on the street again. And you maybe don't get closure, EMS and fire and police and first responders, you don't get closure. Like, what happened to that person? I just saw this horrible, yeah, I just (laughs) saw this horrible snippet of this person's life. And you have no idea if the story gets better or worse or what happens. You're just stuck with the residue of that experience. You're just left with the residue of that experience. That's right. a really interesting perspective. I love that because, you know, a lot of times I'm like, why why do I feel so run down? Why do I feel so burned out? Yeah. Why does everything uh, seem so dark? And you're you're absolutely right. The snippet that we get of this movie that's on fucking repeat in yeah. Hollywood is yeah. it's not a good scene. No, you, you know have what this, I mean? this, you have this. What you're doing is you're just knitting together these little vignettes of life experience that create this overall residue of yeah. like 
shit yeah really, well, i like, mean bad yeah. stuff. i don't know how often you hear at the emergency room like fuck this or <laughs> i hate people yeah. but that That's, gets said yeah. quite often you know yeah. at fire stations or on rescues or fire engines or fire trucks or whatever you know there's there's a limit and that's john and i created this podcast because we, we were seeing you know really good people people that that found healthcare or found the fire service because they wanted to give they right. wanted to serve and so we're yeah. seeing these incredible people now running out of empathy mm-hmm. and like i i explained yes. before we started recording that i used to love my interpersonal relationships with er staff now that mm-hmm. has changed Absolutely. so much since covid yeah. You know, a lot of times I, I call to give a notification and I get, why are you coming here? We're closed. I told you we're closed. Go somewhere else. That's the introduction. Yeah. Or when we walk in, you know, a patient does not meet trauma criteria, but they, they were assaulted. So they have a little bit of blood. And, and what I'm getting is don't take them here. Take them to a trauma center. Yeah. And so we're, we're running out of this empathy. And I wanted to ask you, because this isn't the first time this has happened to me, right? I've had highs and lows throughout my career. And it's not the first time that I felt like a pawn. It's not like the first time that I felt like, oh, I'm not serving to the my greatest good, my full potential. This Mm -hmm. isn't working. Is this the first time that this has happened? This this touched a nerve where like people are coming in for mental health help and this system is not serving them. You mean, is this the first time that I'm feeling it or seeing that it? That you've I mean, had like a moral dilemma. Because you seem very healthy, very fit. You seem, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, I had it, a bottle of wine last night to well, fall asleep. Do you want to? Re- <laughs> well, you know, we're all human. But what I'm saying no, is I, I, I can I tell. I would mentally well. but I, I can tell that you would probably prescribe a healthy diet before I antihypertensives. I do. I do. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I can suspect that this is not the first time that you've probably had some sort of moral dilemma. Like you love working in emergency rooms because it's so exciting Mm -hmm. and the same is true for our profession there's so much we like about it and then if we stop to think about it sometimes we're like fuck is this is this is this all i can give is this is this the best use of my skills yeah like john said did i go to school to move people around the city right or or just to contribute and to be part of a process that's broken and, and so I, that's a, I mean, you bring up so many things. I don't even know where to begin. My husband always tells me, babe, there's a shelf life to this. There's a shelf life. Like you can't do this forever. You can't, you know what I mean? You just can't. And I have other interests. I love functional medicine. I'm really big into, you know, microdosing and, and, and I, I, for other people, I, I'm, I'm really interested in alternative solutions and I'm really, really interested. I think people are really complex and I think that the medical system is, is not at all and this is but this is long before covid i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up something that's unpopular this shit has been going on since before covid covid actually did us a service where our waiting room in the er was empty because everyone was just going right to the icu oh it was the time of my life are you kidding me families were not allowed to come in yeah were incredible yeah it's not streets were empty the streets were empty and the er's were empty and so this is this is something that's been going on since before covid i think a lot of people want to hang this on covid and this is a, a social dilemma that has been going on for since pre-COVID. How we process psychiatric patients. And how we take care of one another. Right. And how we relate to each other. And how we cope with our problems. This this has been an out-of-control train since before COVID. Mm. This is not, you know, COVID definitely amplified. not just in California, in Arizona, Arizona, Florida. I'm going to be honest with you. And this might blow your doors off. When I first came up to work in L.A., 
I really assumed that I was going to see so many psych patients and I was going to have all these crazy stories. Bruh, I don't. Like Arizona had way more, like 50% of my ER population, a level one trauma in Arizona is behavioral. Which city? Genuine Which behavioral. City? Phoenix, Chandler, Gilbert, Tempe. I worked in Mesa. Interesting. All of them. Can you uh, help narrow down why so many people have psychiatric illness? Is it meth? Is it abuse? That's a great question. Um, uh, and I know I'm going in so many different directions, <laughs> I, but I'm I curious. Could, I, so, you know, so here we in think, LA. We think California, we meet so many homeless patients that sure. we're like, where are you from? And they're like, Iowa. You know, right. my my mayor gave me a bus ticket. <laughs> like everyone's oh, coming to California, but yeah. you're, it's it's not. It's bad all over, and that's bad I love over. I love so talking bad. to people, and that's mm-hmm. I love when firefighters hit me up from all over the country or even in Canada, mm-hmm. telling me it's bad because really bad. I don't like hearing that it's bad, but I like hearing that I'm not alone, mm-hmm. and it's it's good to I zoom out it, and get the big picture that it's it's not just bad in L.A. So I think honest, honestly, I think it's. It was for me. My experience was it was worse in Arizona and wow, Florida. That's worse, crazy. much worse. The, the the patients that I saw and the people I took care of in Florida, the stories that I have coming out of there and even Arizona, um, would I mean that's for another R-rated podcast for sure. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of drug use in LA. Um, we, we so we had a lot of IV drug use in Florida, like mm. IV drug use, the likes of which I've never seen anywhere right. it makes la look like disneyland wow. yeah. i mean 18 year olds coming in banging eight milligrams of dilaudid every four hours IV. wow Where the oh, fuck yeah. are they getting dilaudid that's crazy <laughs> so <laughs> one of my one of my visions and just to get a greater uh, concept of all this and we talk about this pandemic right yeah in my mind in my in the way i see things i see i see it beyond that you know i, yeah. I believe it's it's a bunch of micro epidemics that are happening within our culture, specifically yes. the United States of America. Yes. So I travel all over the world. And when I go to different countries, you don't see this shit. Are they happier? Please tell well, me you there's You just joy. don't see as many you know, transients. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? More joy with it, less possessions is what I see when you know, I travel. There's a there's an essence for a, a pride in having um, more quality in life rather than quality in this rat race. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, you know, that's one of the epidemics is the rat race. You know, you come to America and everyone is striving for this vision of right. what they believe to be success or whatever, uh, being in the limelight. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. You know, another epidemic is uh, drugs, you know, and serious, serious drugs like meth. Serious you know drugs. I mean? It is in meth and like in just the IV drug use, the fentanyl. People don't realize that fentanyl is another epidemic right now that no one understands. Mm-hmm. Like we have the cartel just shoveling uh, just mounds of fentanyl through so the airport, through LAX. Our department has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, through the border. Yeah. And I had uh, I just uh, had heard this story about how the, the cartel uses um, just immigrants to shuttle and mule uh, yeah. Just backpacks. Yeah. Uh, that's their gateway to full get across the board at full of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And so that's another epidemic. And the other yeah. one is, you know, our children of America, you know, they're seeing this envision uh, through social media and things of how, how to act. Yeah. You know, and they're very, tr- they're the word triggered, right? Or the word sensitive to everything, really. Mm-hmm. And they become so internalized to- towards everything that they can't really function well in society anymore. At so all. So they're having way more behavioral health issues and not not to say that you know being sensitive or internalizing things is bad or or whatever but i'm saying it more in a sense that they're not understanding 
really how to behave I think in a more sociable manner. I think that what's happening too is that we're really seeing the younger people and even myself too. Like, listen, you, you, you got to deal with it at some point. Yeah. The creation of maladaptive coping mechanisms, really sure. maladaptive. And that doesn't just mean substance abuse. That means like narcissism. Mm-hmm. That yeah. means like ghosting somebody. Yeah. That means like really hurting someone's feelings yeah, for sure with your words and actions. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have to be this glaring like, oh, well, they're drug addicted. This like caricature of what a person who's yeah. unwell is. That's not it. There's many levels of unwell and you can look really well and be really, really fucking unwell. Yeah. You know what I mean? For so. sure. Yeah, no, and you're yeah. totally right. I mean, like my biggest thing is uh, my one of my medicines is family. You know what I mean? If, if my behavior is going to, um, it's not going to reflect who I am, then what's the fucking point? Yeah. You know what I mean? I can do all the therapy in the world or all, all the medications in the world, all the medicines in the world to help me with my behavioral health. But in the end, my actions are more important yeah. as a leader and as a father, as, as a uh, partner to my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I am here to sustain myself through my actions. Yeah. And I go back to our thoughts. You know, how do we think? You know, if we're going to change things, we have to send a message about you got to change your thoughts. You it do. starts there. It really starts there. And you're, and I, I got to be honest with you. It, I'm, I've always lived in the now. Very, very like Eckhart Tolle wrote that book for me, I'm sure. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. The Power of Now. And that's a great thing. Yeah. But now that I'm 48, I'm like, wow, shit, I missed out on a lot of like mm. things that I should have like worked on and maybe like reflected on yeah. to like. Be, be just be better and and because you get to that point where you're constantly living in the now and in the moment which we do in the er which we do in first responding you're in the moment you're not anywhere else right whatever's going on at home right you don't even have time to think about it because you're coding this guy or this guy right. is telling you he wants to kill himself or someone else or whatever heart attack stemmy this that you know the next thing not being able to process and create and reflect and sit in your discomfort if yeah. you can't learn how to sit in your discomfort even when it's prolonged all of us, everything that we do, everything we do, all of my meditation, my practice, mm. I listen to um, healing frequencies all the time, and it's <laughs> been hugely powerful in my yeah. hugely meditation. All of those things are to avoid discomfort. Yeah, that's why we, that's why I do it. That's why that's why we do it yeah. to avoid discomfort. It's an obsession to feel better. Yeah, and it's I'm just, guilty of that. Oh, we all are. I have a headache for five minutes. I'm going to take in a leave. Yeah, who wants to sit in their discomfort? Well, I do now (laughs) because I'm seeing (laughs) it. I'm seeing how uncomfortable I am when Gus cries, and it's so odd because you know I've been a firefighter for seven years and I can tune out a siren. Oh yeah, and there's a lot I can tune out to to narrow and show up and focus on scene. I don't want to tune out my baby's crying. It's like biologically impossible to tune out so that I I hear Mm -hmm. him and I take care of him. Yeah. But man, it is nonstop. And I'm learning how to be okay with how uncomfortable it is, yeah. you know, because and I can't just leave the room, right? And so it's it's interesting, right? I'm 37 and, and it's become obvious how many times in my life I've chosen to feel better, right? Yeah. We just avoid yeah. suffering. But you're, you're absolutely right. Like having that perspective of like investing I mean, it, it makes you more resilient. Yeah. It makes you more you know, strong well, that you don't have to reach. You you need less, you know? And you can't, you can't avoid discomfort. Yeah. You're going to be in situations and life is going to heap circumstances on you, especially when you have children, <laughs> where you don't get to go 
jog or meditate. You, I know. you can't at that time. And your kid is going through something. You're going to send this beautiful, amazing, special, incredible person who has completely changed your life and made you mush inside. You're going to send that person out to the world to be annihilated by other people like actually and it's going to rip a part of your heart out and so you can't avoid that discomfort when no. you love somebody when you care for somebody and all of a sudden your heart your heart is outside your body mm. listening to you talk trevor before about uh, you know really not like like the people and the things in your life are not your possessions that your foundation is really so important such a simple elegant statement but like it really hit home because i'm like shit if you're not working on cleaning out your own closet and really doing the work that you need to do inside not only do you not show up for people but you don't fucking show up for yourself right at all and you're not present for yourself and that's a hollow they want to talk about real discomfort that's real discomfort it's a beautiful way to step into that place of that i mean for me my discomfort has become my greatest teacher yeah and like i like i said i'm on top of being you know just in so invested in your behavior Mm -hmm. you have to be invested in your ability to sit in the discomfort and look at it Mm -hmm. look at everything and not being able to uh just be able to hide from it and be able to witness yourself when things come up is the important factor because you're seeing your your reaction you're seeing the way you are thinking about it and that's a moment of where you can switch it off or switch into something like gratitude in a moment of mm-hmm. an upheaval or whatever and you're able to shift it. That's the whole point of it is that you're going to have these lessons that come into your life. They're going to keep reoccurring unless yeah. you learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. And if you can change your perspective and change the way you think about things, now you're able to step forward in a new direction and now you're able to change yourself. But that in itself is that- able to change things on a grander scale that we don't really understand. It changes things within your family within your friendships on a, on a massive scale. If you don't see it like that, you're not going to really take that time to really do that great work. And it's called the great work for a reason because it, it makes on a macro scale, that micro work mm-hmm. matters. Yep. I think too, you bring up a really good point. Well, you so many good points, but kind of tying it back to this, the social norms and the idea that America, this product that America is presenting to youth, to people, to anyone for that matter, because this call can kind of affect anybody, even if you're in your 40s or 50s. Yeah. That, and if you know, you're scrolling through social media, you're, you're, everything that we, the movies that we see, everything in, in the movies and social media is always coming to this big climactic event right? Where the hero either loses or wins, mm-hmm. right? So we're looking at social media and we're like, you know, you got to, you got to sleep five hours a night and get up early and write in your journal and ice plunge. And you're going to have mm-hmm. the best life and you're going to make a six figure salary. And you're going to, and it's all about these, these big moments that we accomplish so that people go out there in the world and they're doing all these things. And when the big accomplishment doesn't happen the way they think it's supposed to show up in their life, they're fucking crushed. Yeah. They're fucking crushed. We are selling people disaster. We're selling them disaster mm-hmm. because, well, I think that people then, once you, you, you have this ego death where you're mm-hmm. like, fuck, I didn't do it. I didn't make the six figure salary. I didn't get the promotion. I didn't, you know, get the modeling contract. I didn't become a star. I'm not a famous YouTuber. I, the list goes on, right? I didn't have this epiphany where I like reached greatness and I had this moment on top of Mount Everest where I was like, <laughs> I did. Then you're crushed. You have this yeah. ego death. And so then you revert back to, 
well, where, where are all the finer moments in my life where I became this person I actually really wanted to be? Mm-hmm. And you start looking at your life in a way and appreciate your life in a way that only you can, that you don't seek external validation anymore, that you don't need substances anymore to cope, that you're not creating these maladaptive coping mechanisms. And the greater the Mount Everest is for you, the more work you're going to have to do to cope in the end, right? Like for the sure. more you're going to have to like, like look at your shit and go like, I did succeed there. I did these things that were really useful and good. And I'm not, my life isn't a failure. I didn't, you know, not getting the promotion is not the end of the fucking world for me. You know what I mean? It's really beautiful. And we always talk about Trevor's always saying that changing your narrative, you know, it's like the inner monologue in your mind, it's going to change the way your outcomes are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's all about perspective. You know, if you can see like Mount Everest as not much of a hurdle it doesn't it seems a bit more effortless you know what i mean or even if you see as like fuck i tried that i tried that and i'm really proud of my ability to show up and try that and it's okay that i didn't make it all the way there i'm so proud of what i did you're in the arena yeah that's so i'm going to tie this back to the fire service really quick so for me the the lessons i've learned over the last few years and had things come into my life and had things leave my life and it it got it turn the focus on my worthiness, right? Because it was so wrapped up in my job and my possessions and just this persona that I showed, right? I didn't feel worthy unless I put on this like perfect performance. And I started seeing that a lot in the fire service. I started seeing us have this ability to shape and mold our next, you know, generation, our, our younger members. And we weren't, we weren't like modeling them to be confident and Mm -hmm. to be um, sort of like fast paced thinkers and to have reason. We were just modeling. You don't know shit. You're not anyone. All your life experience doesn't mean anything because you're brand new to us. Right. So I was same thing. We did this exact. Yeah. So I was really like, okay, we're robbing these, these young men and women of their worthiness, you know, and I, I always take rookies aside and I say, look, this is a very difficult year. And yes, you are here to secure your career, but don't forget who you are outside of this fire station. Yeah. So for me, right. Going back to discomfort, I had to allow myself to just witness the discomfort right because at work we're always trying to fix it we're always trying to feel better off duty i just had to witness it and by witnessing it i was less likely to jump into action right and a lot of times my jumps into action are overreactions right i'll lose my temper so now at home just to take a minute to breathe and witness the discomfort yeah then i'm less likely to hit that panic button because what i've noticed is leah will present something to her partner and if i'm already uncomfortable and she puts one more thing on my plate i'm going to get defensive i'm going to try to steal that microphone for her but if i can just witness okay my partner's coming to me with a problem she just wants me to be aware of this problem and i can help support her i don't have to steal it and that's just going back to trends that we see right Mm -hmm. the narcissism you brought up i think a lot of people are maxed out. They're desperate. Yes. They're burnt. You know, so like someone doesn't go through the yellow light. Now they're stuck at the red and mm-hmm. it just fucked their day. Yeah. My thing is if I get stuck at a red, okay, maybe I avoided an intersection to block away that I was going to get, you know, T-boned. Yeah. So I'm always trying to like, and this is, this is three years after our first miscarriage, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have Gus. 
so I'm I'm that guy now that like I have a lot more faith. I have a lot more worthiness. Mm-hmm. I have just this bigger picture of a plan that's meant for me. Yeah. And you're going to feel, you're going to have all of that tested. All of the inner work that you do is going to be tested that's when, when, when your five-year-old turns exactly. around and says, I hate you. That's why I do the work. <laughs> no, for real. Right? Because the work, the work isn't about coasting it on glass, right? The work is about weathering the storms. Yeah. It's about falling in the ice and, and going, how long that, can I sit you know? here for? It's really cold. And you're absolutely right. The cold plunges that I we, that we advertise, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's about getting familiar mm-hmm. with discomfort. Yep. So you don't hit the panic button. So yeah. you learn how to breathe yep. through it. My husband and I, we do ice plunge every day. Every cool. day. Well, when I'm home, I'm, it, I, I got to find a place to do it here. John's backyard. So you work nights, right? I work, I work, I work all kinds of crazy hours. So sometimes I'm days, sometimes I'm nights. There's no, our, our shifts are flexible. So we did want to get into also like tell hospital staff yeah. and behavioral health on that end. And cause well, of course we're seeing it on all, mm-hmm. all sides, all, all spectrums within healthcare, but you know, your perspective it, it must be a bit more like un- intuitive really and in how you're seeing it really and and how we show up you know we're just we're just bringing you know patients or whatever and we know we know that nurses are way more burnt out in the ER we can tell it's yeah. the way they they talk to us finish know? this yeah. riddle firefighters are alcoholics nurses are psychopaths <laughs> 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 no drug users i don't know <laughs> no is there is there actually a real answer <laughs> no no and firefighters are, aren't alcoholics yeah, I'm just, and we're not psychopaths. I, I like talking to someone in an industry that i'm not a part of you know i have like yeah. a, a loose affiliation with yeah just because stereotypes we're are all funny part, we're all part of the same like i was saying we passed the baton we're part of the system yeah and i think listen that's again we could go into a whole nother podcast about hospital administration and the, and, and the medical system and how the cash flow and dollars, you know, mm-hmm. dollars and cents, uh, where money goes from one place to the next. I think that's a huge, 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 huge problem. And that's creating our staffing shortages. It's been litigated all over the place, all over social media and elsewhere. It's well known that I don't know what your staffing grids are like, but ours are terrible. They're terrible. Everywhere. Ours are terrible. So like last night we had three doctors on, I was one of the providers and two nurses two nurses so as a provider i can take 10 to 15 patients or more right in an hour i can just crank through go see everybody put all my orders in but if i don't have a nurse to carry that out i can't do that luckily i was a nurse so i can go pop a line in and i'm not useless i can actually go help out but it's a it's a very poor model for health healthcare, and we do this we do this day in day out day in day out and it's not because there aren't nurses available there's plenty of nurses available hospital admin all over the country this isn't just one hospital this is all over the country they don't want to pay people to come work for them they'd rather have people sitting in the lobby and then what they want to do is if a patient dies in the lobby because they didn't get care because nobody can go out and evaluate them they want to pin it on the provider or the nurse and they want to take our license away and they want to continue on and just move down the, tr- the chain we're cattle right we're all cattle yeah is this why we've seen so much turnover because if you're in your home state if your hospital admin's not willing to pay you a fair wage are you going to make that decision to become a traveler? Is that why we're exactly because the, the yeah. nurses that I had a relationship with and a good rapport were three, core staff, probably. Yeah, three yeah. years ago, they're, they're not there anymore. Right, they're core staff, and they usually stay there, and they're committed, and they go to the staff meetings. And I mean, again, that's for a whole other podcast. There's there's staffing shortages everywhere. I'm like, did COVID cause like a Thanos snap that we didn't know, and like half the workforce is just gone? Like, yeah. like actually, because well, I think less, I don't know where all these people went. I think less people want to become firefighters, and less people yeah. want to become 
become nurses. Yeah. Well, because since the lockdown, everyone's like, fuck this, man. I can just go on YouTube and make a million dollars a year. I don't doing know what they're like, doing. Like, you I don't know, know how I mean, they're making money. Well, the credit know. card debt in this country is at an all-time high. So oh, well, I, I have go. a feeling a lot of <laughs> yeah. people just aren't working. And they're yeah. like, fuck it. Maybe it'll be like a fight club ending where like credit cards <laughs> get <laughs> wiped out. They're going to GameStop everything. But here, here, I wanted to ask you, okay, so were you sold a lie? Because I would never work at a hospital that had two nurses. I feel like staffing has always been an issue as long as I've been doing it. It's just never been this bad. There's always been problems so you with knew, staffing. You knew always. what you yeah. were going to get. Okay, because yeah. this is what I'm seeing in our department. Guys with 20 years on, they will admit things have never been as bad as they are right now, but they've also been through wars before. Yeah. So yeah. young guys, it's not new. a lot of young recruits that we're attracting are college educated, maybe mm-hmm. played uh, pro sports, you know, but they weren't prepared for right. the amount of shit they were going to shovel. I think, I think and so. We this, talked about authenticity. Yeah. I honestly, I think that's a lot of the internal struggle that we see the moral dilemmas in the fire service is this is not what I signed up for. I imagine being a hero saving lives, not moving psych patients around the city. Right. Or, or just doing these bullshit calls or whatever. Yeah. And, but, but I also think that, well, two, two things I'll, 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 you know, bring up one, this is all due to business. This is a business model that is flawed. That is why medical care in this country is awful. That is why even you're, listen, your business, you guys are, you, somebody is responsible for your budgets and your money. For, for sure. sure. So, and that's, you can never lose sight of that. The corporate side of it, the budgetary side of it, the CEO side of it, the non-medical, non-care side of it, the non-firefighting side of it, the actual caregiver that you are. So there is a huge problem there. There is, and, and I'm not sure if there's just a subtle shift to privatization of medical care. We're going to have to dive into this. I'll do some research. If you'll invite me back again, we'll have a real <laughs> talk about like costs you know, of healthcare. But that's a huge issue. They don't want to pay people. They don't want to staff accordingly. And so I, I don't know where your money comes from. I know it comes from your state budget, but that's like how much money gets allocated from year to year, from month to month for you guys to get paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know we're at a critical shortage of police in Arizona and Phoenix. Yeah. Critical shortage, right? Who wants to go be a cop? Not many people. Exactly. Honestly, which is really, it's yeah. horrible. Well, there's incentives a cop, but now. Leo would break up with me. There's, there's incentives now that, uh, you know, they're offering $20,000 buy-ins for someone to get hired uh, by a police department. And I've never seen anything like that. It's because yeah, no one wants to do, no to do to the do job. No one wants to be hated and ridiculed yeah. in public. And for they're doing not a seriously paid. hard. They're not even getting not paid. Not even paid can't well even afford for a what house. you're doing. Like, they cannot afford a house. They can barely afford rent. And they're out there saving lives and making sure that you feel safe and protected. I'm so happy and you brought that up. And then they're, they're going up against people in the streets that have better weapons than they do. Like, yeah. do you want to go run to a call with your Glock if a dude's got an AR-15 in his house? I don't, not unless I have an AR-15. <laughs> I mean, there's, this, there's this famous quote, right? Money talks, bullshit walks. Yeah. And in a place like healthcare that's used as like a, you know, a corporate level where it's bureaucratic and you have mm-hmm. money involved, mm-hmm. well, um, they're not going to pay the workers very much. You know what I mean? That's why people don't want to do this. They can just be at home doing some type of YouTube channel getting paid a shit ton of money. So why the hell am I going to risk my life, especially when they, you know, the idea that COVID could kill you and your family 
it's just it spots a lot of fear into people mm-hmm. and fear is another epidemic in itself yeah. yeah get in the arena that's what i was that's what i was going to say is like too many guys in the fire yes. service have paid their dues and now they're standing in the stands right they're sure. spectators their audience you know and that feels safe and they to, want to, to point at the people yeah. yeah competing mm-hmm. and say that's wrong yeah. or whatever i you know for me scrolling on social media you are a spectator absolutely depending on what you put in your feed i mean my feed is full of like parenting stuff mental health stuff it inspires me because that's where you're at like that's where you're at and that's what's speaking to you and that's authentically so we talked about resonating on an authentic frequency but well i guess we can talk about that too but i do want to say that people that are thinking about getting into this field if you're thinking about i hear hear people all the time i want to be a nurse i want to be a firefighter because i think it's just a great life and they have a good pension and i'm going to get time off and it's a good life work balance i'm like bitch move on dude move on that's not you don't you won't even make it through fucking the testing period of fire school you won't even make it through nurse like you just won't you won't when you meet somebody who does what we do you're battle tested. You're yeah. here because you fucking can't do anything else. There's a common denominator among all of us that you can't do anything else. You might want to be a wedding planner. You might want to run retreats somewhere. And maybe you'll do that later in your life when you've fulfilled this burning desire to complete this work that you were made to do. But we're here because we, I get emotional about it, because we can't, we're not better at anything else. Yeah. That's what we do. We're just, we're here to take care of people and we're here to connect with people. And I, I know you felt it. I already know. And I'm going to just put this on you right now. You've had moments in your career where you've connected with someone so profoundly that you're like, this is my why. Mm-hmm. This is my why. Yeah. So people that want to get in this field, if you haven't built your childhood up of being tested and being able to sit in your discomfort, you have done all this work already as kids because you wouldn't be doing this line of work if you didn't. You're just coming back to that person. You're coming back to that person as an adult of like, shit, I got these things coming up again. I feel unworthy. I feel not validated. I'm feeling the pressures of whatever. So you're just redoing the work again. You're revisiting the work to feel good again inside. A bit of my story is that, uh, you know, I grew up with my parents, you know, not being able to afford groceries, you know, and like being able to have a career to where I can afford stuff, you know, without being in debt and going bankrupt is a huge leap in my family. Yeah. You and know, so, feeling peace in your life. You're, you're, yeah, you're, of course. We're, we're in your place right now somewhat, and your space somewhat is, peace. well, your space <laughs> is full of joy. Like your space is full of calm, peaceful energy. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're creating that place for yourself. Y'all made me cry twice today and I, I for real. <laughs> yeah, it's I an wanna, opportunity. I want to <laughs> praise you for your raw emotion, you know, cause it yeah. is difficult to be vulnerable, yeah. especially doing what we do. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you don't bring yourself to tears too often on duty. I, well, you can't. I mean, well, I might run can't. off and cry. Exactly. I met, you know, I met an eighty-one-year-old lady who was living in a storage unit, mm. and I mean, just like this, I could, I gotta write a book of these stories. Like they wreck you inside. Yeah. You know, and then I had this, you know, the same shift. I had a guy say, you know, what good are you for? You better give me a blowjob. Like, okay. Oh. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. And that's so, the kind of shit we're, we're, we're faced with, right? The yin and the yang. <laughs> it, is, it is like the humanity we see yeah. in this line of work. It is unreal. We're not planning weddings. It's, it's we're not a, doing that. I, I wish I had a body cam like a police officer because mm-hmm. it is just crazy. I always tell Haley, my girlfriend, this. I was like, you don't understand. If I had a body cam, you would just be like, it would be just a huge TV show. You'd be like that that meme or that gif of like Michael Jackson in the theater just like eating popcorn. Yeah. 
because it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Like Human behavior shit. is so fantastic. Have Especially you had this friends work. leave uh, nursing to become oh, yeah. wedding planners? Yes. And, and, oh, yeah. And, I have a friend who runs her own business now, and she's traveling the world, and she looks really happy. Yeah, because that's the thing is I do... So there's, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's unique. And, you know, obviously I have a mortgage and I have a son and, you know, I dream of a second career an alternative career, but right now the timing's not ideal, but I do meet people that I feel like would be better served doing something else. Of course. I don't think that everyone is meant to do this line of work for 33, 30, 25 years. I think some people can serve as much as they can and then move on to something else in five, 10 years. 100%. It's just, it's a really big decision to walk away from a pension. Okay, Nowadays, right. when like 50% of Americans have less than a thousand bucks in their savings account, it's a big decision. 100%. And it's, it's, and, and for those people, I got to be honest with you. If that is you, not you personally, but you collectively, if that is you, person who's listening to this podcast, if, if you are a person who is hanging on for a pension or hanging on for, you know, the practical reasons. I'm going to pray for you today because I want you to feel whole in what you're doing. I, do I always feel whole in my work? No, but I keep coming back to it because I really appreciate my genuine connection with patients. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do. And I don't like the setting that I have to work and do it in anymore. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. I, and so I don't know how to rectify that. I don't know how to create comfort in my line of work when I go to work every day. So what I do is I build a sense of community. Mm. I love all the people at the hospital I work at. I buy everybody lunch. We buy each other lunch. We take care of one another. We lean on each other. So building that microcosm, that sense of community wherever you are, is so valuable because you can then decorate your little workhouse, right? You can put the window trimmings up and you can make it a place that's good for you, even if it's on fire. Well, that's what got to us in our line of work because after the lockdown, we saw this complete just malfunction in that arena. Like this, this tribal sense that used to be set in place that kept firefighters together it's it really uh got disrupted yeah and you know part of our our message is to bring unity back together because how are we supposed to do this by ourselves and our separateness Mm -hmm. and our self-righteousness because it doesn't work you know we're we're meant to be tribal people you know we're supposed to be together and work together 100 and we serve our purpose with Mm -hmm. our individuality in the collective whole you know and if we can keep that idea and, and supply that community into the the foundation of how we operate, it will sustain those hard times and mm-hmm. and in 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 the line of work that we do. Because just you know, when we have to do what we do, we do it well, hundred percent. And it's it so feels good. good, right? Yeah, and, and we're good at it. We're naturally you you don't you're not attracted to this line of work unless there's a there's a compassion in you, there's an empathy yeah. in you. You won't survive. You won't be in this work long enough. Yeah. You'll 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 select yourself right out of this process. But building that sense of community, honestly, I think that's the answer to everything that's yeah, ailing yeah. us Amen. right now. Everything. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's at the heart of our movement right now is unity. Yeah. And if you and, don't build a sense of community, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're a hairdresser, whether you're a barista at Starbucks, we have to we have to connect. We're meant to do it. We all talk about it. It's a platitude. But I mean, you've got to actively be an active participant in building your community, your sense of community. You absolutely do. It's too easy to stay indoors and to say, you know what, that person thinks differently than me. They look differently than me. I have nothing in common. I don't see myself in them anymore. Right. Right. And so that's I've witnessed that in myself is I have to make an effort to 
see everyone as the same, you know, and, and, and sit in my humility. Yeah. Right. And that's hard. It's hard as a firefighter, obviously, because we see a vast spectrum Mm -hmm. of, of clientele, you know, it's hard to see yourself in in the guy that's covered in piss and shit. Yeah. But I talked to him. Do you want a sandwich? How are you today? Like their story is complex. Yeah. 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 Like, how can I show up for you today? Yeah. I say the same thing. You don't like your office politics. You don't like the dynamic. You have two choices. Be the change agent, make it better on within, within the best your ability or leave. Yeah. Go, go somewhere else and build better community elsewhere. That's okay too. You know what I mean? It's absolutely okay. I want to circle back to, we, we discussed what the system provides right now. But let's imagine a hypothetical that you're on the fire engine with me and mm-hmm. we, we go to someone's home mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, um, let's say, a 25 year old female on the couch with mm-hmm. no trauma, but she's mm-hmm. saying she's feeling suicidal. Can I, can I just totally, like, completely <laughs> tell a different story? Yeah, 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 for sure. Because <laughs> well, this is really sad and I felt like we're moving in such a positive way, but I have to tell this story because. I think it highlights so beautifully how broken things are and it made me really scared and yeah. it, it shook it shook me to my core and it still haunts me today so it has a happy ending or no it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't do you want me to proceed do you want me to proceed yeah let's okay. do it i'm overdue so, for a cry and now it's not a cry it should scare you and oh, I, but shit. i think it beautifully highlights it horribly highlights what's wrong okay, okay. Guy walks into the ER. He had called fire. They actually, fire actually showed up at his house, but he already left. He left. He's like, forget See, it. See, no one respects us. <laughs> I was like, because fire the called. And it was, <laughs> we were so confused. So we, there was a bit of like a confusion about this guy showing up in triage because fire was called to his house, but then fire went and he wasn't there. Anyway, we all determined that he just left his house and walked to the ER a long way. Anyway, and fire couldn't find him. They finally found him because they came to the ER. So this guy walks in. He is really well dressed, mid, 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 probably late 20s, maybe 28, 29. This is in Arizona, by the way, not in LA. This is in Arizona. I could tell because the fire department followed up at the ER yeah. looking for a patient. We don't do that shit in LA. Right. <laughs> patient GOA is a good, exactly. is, is a good news. Like you're gone. You obviously got what you needed. Right. So anyway, yeah, they did follow up. Well, I, there's a reason why they followed up. Uh-huh. You would follow up too. Oh, I like this story. This is good. So the call was to fire to 911. I'm going to go shoot a school. Oh. So you might follow up on oh, that fuck one. Fuck yeah. I'm going to go shoot up a school. I'm going to go shoot up a bunch of kids at a school. Oh my God. So we have no idea. Fire calls. And, mm. and so we don't know what this guy looks like. They don't know what he looks like because it was just a 911 call, right? Guy walks in triage and I'm a nurse at this point. I'm not even a provider. I'm a nurse. And... um. Trash says, uh, we got a live one out here. You need to come out right now. So I come out. I think I was charged at the time. And this guy's a very, he's a, he's decently dressed. He's shaved. He doesn't look like a killer. He just looks like a normal guy. And he's very but he's shaky. He's very upset looking. And we you know, again, well-dressed, like nice clothes, all the things, late twenties. I'm like, this guy looks like a professional. Like I'm not, what's going on? Is he, I'm assuming he's suicidal. I have no idea what's going on. I pull him aside, take him in a little anti-room that we have to talk to him and interview him about his, you know, are you homicidal, suicidal? He says, I'm going to shoot up a school. And he literally produces a gun because Arizona, you can take your guns anywhere, right? He produces a Glock and I'm like, oh, okay, let's put that on the table. And he's like, I'm going to go shoot up a school. I have a neighbor and I guess they had been battling for a long time. And this person had driven him to the brink of insanity. 
and he was going to go kill the kids. He was going to go kill all, all of the kids at the school. And he had a plan. He had pictures. He had been mapping it out for weeks. He was ready to go. He showed up at the school that morning and was outside for three hours contemplating. Thank God he decided that he was not going to do it and decided to call 911 instead. So this guy had a girlfriend. He has got a whole life. He's got a job. He's got all the things. Okay. Not convenient for him to have these feelings and want to do this today. So what do we do? We take him in the back room and we strip him of everything and we take his phone away and he's not allowed to make any phone calls. He can't even call his girlfriend to tell, tell her where she is, well, where he is. We, we put him in the paper scrubs and we stick him in a complete sensory deprivation room. Nothing on the walls, nothing, nothing. You can't even get, you get a plastic spoon to eat your Salisbury steak with, which tastes like shit. <laughs> yeah. You don't even get a fork. You don't get a knife. What are you guys trying to do? Like yeah. Seal the deal. <laughs> so this guy is now there and he, he's fine for the first few hours. I mean, he's upset. He's tearful. And again, the same, it's like the same song over and over and over again on repeat. He starts to get upset four hours in because he wants to call someone. He wants to call his girlfriend. He's starting to freak out about people that might care about him. He's starting to get really, really, really uncomfortable. So we start medicating him. Let's medicate the shit out of this guy. Not me. At that point, I'm the nurse, the, the doctor who doesn't give a shit because he's worked four nights in a row and he's tired. And, you know, this guy's getting geared on and out of van and we're just going to completely gork this guy out. Right. Very traumatizing. I worked three days in a row. I came back um, each day and he was still there. So 72 hours, he's still in that sensory deprivation room with the paper scrubs. His girlfriend has come hysterical crying multiple times going, I don't know what's going on. I can't believe this has happened. His parents have showed up. He's now fired from his job. He's been fired. Um, this guy's entire life has fallen apart and he's mm -hmm. still sitting there for 72 hours. He's had exactly one Zoom call with a psych you know, eval, which he's not cleared for psych, obviously. They're not going to let him walk out. He's got to go to an inpatient facility now, right? I think he stayed there for four and a half days before he was finally transferred to county psych, which is a whole nother house of horrors in itself. Yeah. And somebody should be on here talking about that because I would, I would love to hear. I'll just sit in the corner and not say a word. And I want to hear about what life is like in county psych. Well, it's or, like raptors, like yeah. Jurassic Park biting at the, the window. Yeah. Where you're going like, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? That's yeah. exactly what that is. So <laughs> this guy has never, he's never used the Jurassic. mental health system. Yeah, it's like, it's what it's like. Animals, that was a good right? one, dude. I got they the have best like visual. the mob room and they have the taupe room for different levels of insanity. It's not good. So this guy's never used the, he's never used the mental health system. I don't even know that he's used the medical system much. Mm. And here's where it got scary for me. This guy was completely traumatized by that whole experience. I think sitting outside the school and contemplating, I mean, no, I, I can't even, that's hor That's the most horrific thing you can think of. But then followed up by coming in and having your entire life stripped away. You, you lose everything. You are now put in paper scrubs. What scared me more than anything is that if guy, this guy, he'll go to inpatient county psych. He'll maybe he'll get on meds. Maybe he'll get some therapy. Maybe he won't. Who knows what will happen to him? We know that it's shit when you go there. We know that the follow-up care in the outpatient world is shit. If this guy ever has feelings like that again, do you think he's going to fucking come in the ER? No way. I don't think so. And that was terrifying to me. That was terrifying to me. Yeah. Because I'm like... 
are we doing a good job handling someone who probably maybe needs kid gloves and we have like an amazing place to intervene here? Now we've completely traumatized him. Right. I mean, when I saw him on the fourth day, he had dark circles under his eyes. Mm-hmm. He'd had so many psych meds injected into him all over. He was like not even talking to me the way he was talking to me when he first walked in when he was going to kill children. He was four days later, he was a psychopath for real. And I, I think that was, I know that it was largely based on the trauma of, of the experience of coming in to seek care in the ER. Yeah. Like, do you think he'll come back again? Or no. do you think he'll either kill himself or God forbid, kill somebody else? It's, it's a crazy missed opportunity. You it's, know, I'm like, why isn't he in jail, right? You can't walk into an emergency room with a gun. I mean, I guess this is Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> but the 5150 we'll, we'll hold is a new trick, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm, well, yeah, we held him. We look, held him. I, I love working with LAPD, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything about them right now, but I'm saying I'm seeing a lot of holds get written mm-hmm. when someone committed a crime. Well, he didn't. He right, didn't, right, he didn't right. commit a crime. He actually didn't. And what he needed was mental health services. Yeah. And what he got was a new trauma to add to his list of circumstantial trauma. For sure. He got this very traumatic experience. He really didn't commit a crime. And if we... Listen, if you take nothing away from this podcast, if you want to hurt yourself or someone else, please come see us. I promise if I'm there, I'll make it better. I did help this guy. It's crazy, though, too, like how you're explaining this, right? And like... For me, I always, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul, right? So yeah. whenever I'm treating someone, I always look someone directly in the eyes, yeah. right? And when I'm looking at someone, they have like this glaze over their eyes. Like there's no one in there. Yeah. It is you such know. a bizarre experience, mm-hmm. especially when like they have this glare back at you. Like I'm going to kill you. Yeah. It oh, is I've the most it. strangest mm-hmm. feeling that you have with that person. Mm-hmm. And it is like... I mean, I'm sure like I, you saw that oh, in yeah. his eyes, and it's well, just no. a weird feeling. I saw trauma. I saw terror. You saw something different, right? Terror. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that whatever whatever trip switch he had that made him go left instead of right, I am eternally grateful for that. I'm mm-hmm. eternally grateful that I got to meet him that day in that setting, and that he didn't do what he wanted to do or planned to do. Um, but I can't, like, that's only one story. Can you imagine all these people that are having really bad thoughts about doing bad things, and then they come to go seek help, and they have this horrible traumatic experience? And that is just the average, everyday, organic experience of how we treat people when they come to the ER for sight. Scared straight. Yeah. It's effective. <laughs> John, yeah. I mean, when someone looks at me like they want to kill me, it's really hard for me to not look back at them like, I'm going to kill you first. Trevor, I yeah. feel the same way. Yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to rip your throat yeah, out. I so like a warrior spirit. My thing is like, I can't be like that because it's not appropriate. It's not professional. And then you get into the dangerous territory of becoming a doormat. So you, you like you said, you know, people that choose these professions, they have a lot of empathy. They also have an edge. 100%. We're warrior spirits. Right. We're warrior spirits. So it's There's really... No you know, and for me, I think a lot of my struggle is that I love the caretakers, right? Like that's that's why we've connected. That's why John and I, you know, we we have something in common down to our core. But it seems like we need someone to take care of the caretakers oh, at this point, yeah. right? And, and and I always make a joke when we complain a lot at work. I'm like, look, Jeff Bezos doesn't give a fuck how the forklift is running in the warehouse you know <laughs> what i mean and and that's the thing is like there's a lot of brass right now that they they have other things on their agenda mm-hmm. right we're just making it work yeah. and that seems to be what i've seen at emergency rooms yeah. and what i've seen at fire stations is like make it work and yeah. they're sort of taking advantage of the fact that we're all 
resilient and empathetic and you know like we will we will make yeah, it work that's that's who it. we are mm-hmm. so the the hypothetical i was going to paint for you though yes, i want to hear i want to hear a story it, yeah because i told a horrible story no, no, it was a good <laughs> it was a, it was a fucking story. good story dude that was a good story and honestly it kind of scared the shit out of me so you're doing a ride along with yes. the fire engine Okay, you're not a nurse practitioner. Is that what you say, practitioner yes. or provider? Yeah, ner- well, you okay, can I've, provide a nurse practitioner. Okay, yeah, same thing. Yeah. interchangeable. So you're with us, right? And you're our mental health guru for the day. And sure, you know what meds they could be prescribed, but you also know what works for Aaron. Sure. This 25-year-old girl who hasn't made an attempt yet is requesting help for having suicidal ideation. Now we know that if you go on a 72 hour hold, you could lose your job. Your family members couldn't find you. This may be traumatic for you. What would you suggest? This is such a tough question. I know. And I'm not asking you to be an on the spot therapist and fix a lifetime of trauma. No, no, no. If she needs help, and you're a mother too. Yeah. That's right? so, so the mother in me yeah. does not want her to go to the ER. Okay. Thinks that that's going to be a traumatic experience for her. Honest to God. And that's a horrible thing to say. I've gone through with my own daughter. You know, my own, my own she had a bad reaction to meds and she, we, she has not any meds anymore. We thought this was not a good idea. But I was like, I, I got to figure this out. I yeah. can't take her to the ER. I know what they're going to do and it's going to completely like try it's going to freak her out it's going to traumatize her who wants to be sitting in a room for three days in paper scrubs with no phone and it's a complete alteration of every norm for you oh boy i really have to assess her and figure out how deep in crisis she is right because it's a risk benefit analysis if you're going to kill yourself and i really believe that you have a plan and you're really going to go through with it i've got to get i've got to intervene i've got to take you and put you in that situation even if it's horrible to get you the help that you need. Yeah. So the so the other thing that that brings up, I mean, the mother in me wants to sit with her and go for a walk in earth and get her, you know, get in your bare feet and go out and touch the ground, and touch trees, and bring you back into. There you go. That's what I want to do. See, that's what I do with my daughter. Let's right? create a number for that. Nine one one is is out. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's work seven one one. Let's we go reframe ground your, ourselves. Well, this is why therapy is so important and so incredible. And so necessary. And a lot of people, they try therapy and they maybe don't click with the therapist at first and they just give up. And I'm like, no, 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 try again, try again. But we continue to put the onus on the person who's not making good decisions, whose brain is broken, whose brain is an unreliable narrator. Fix yourself. Yeah. It's so hard. You need a sponsor for this kind of shit. You You really do. And for me, like Leah, Leah's, you know, so much more than a sponsor. She's my partner, but she, she gives me that perspective. She's like looking out for me. And that's, it's so sad. Like I see it. You know, I tell Leah all the time, when we see someone walking a dog, I honestly feel so much joy and compassion for that person because I know they're not alone. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are living their lo- their lives completely in isolation. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. If you're already having dark thoughts, if you're sort of like stuck in a bad cycle, how are you all of a sudden going to have an epiphany to like take care of yourself? And how are we, how are we, this is what I, I, I talk to my husband about a lot for, for business reasons, but if, if we're seeing a, a group or a, a and this could be an individual person, this can be a corporation, this can be whatever. If, they, if they've notoriously made bad decisions and bad choices, like the hospital I work at currently is not run very well. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to name it, but it doesn't. It's horrible. We all know it. 
why are we expecting them to all of a sudden pivot and make good decisions? The same can be said for a person, <laughs> yeah. right? If we're not yeah. making good decisions. We're not making good choices. Right. Now we're asking you and we're, we're expecting the onus to be put on you to make good decisions and good choices and go find the appropriate help. Well, that's ridiculous. So the alternative is come to us and we're also going to traumatize you. So we've yeah. got my call to providers everywhere is these are the, these people are hanging on by a thread. Fucking do better. Do better for them. Seriously. Yeah. My, You're absolutely my biggest, right. uh, my biggest role right now is stepping into uh, like entheogenic medicines. You know, so in that in that state, uh, you know, for someone who's going through something serious like this, you know, a lot of it is just unprocessed trauma. Yes. And you know, our bodies are a hyper intelligent system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like uh, they're always it's always speaking to us in our mind. It, it speaks to us in a very humorous way. If we don't see it like that, then it becomes really strange. And if you get caught up in it and you take it seriously, you are really going to find yourself in a dark hole. Yeah. Now, while working with some of these entheogenic medicines and like and things like Cambo, Iboga, Ayahuasca, these are super powerful medicines yes. for someone who can't even have any type of mental illness to step into it. Okay, that's something different. But for things like ketamine that we've been Ugh, talking about incredible. and talking about a psilocybin research. Life-changing. You know, these things are lift the veils where you can finally see yourself in a different way and mm-hmm. see a different perspective behind something that allows you to, to be uh, in a sovereign place where you're, with yourself. And then there's a, a, a disintegration or a disintegration phase of yeah. those medicines because yes. it, it breaks you down. Yeah to a minute detail of what you identify yourself with. You become an observer. You lose the ego. You lose the conscious mind. You strip away all the bullshit, all the veils. So I got, I'm sorry. I know we we need to get off, but I have to bring this up because it's so important. (laughs) So important. Two things. You need a guide. You're, you know, if you're going to, that, that's the thing. I love ketamine. I want to start my own infusion clinic. I think it's so powerful. It goes where no, places can go and then yeah. beyond that is the new frontier of microdosing right or yeah. macrodosing or ayahuasca and it, say it anthogenetic i can never say it so it's an- An- entheogenic medicines and the, the, yes. the, the core belief behind that is that uh, you know these are not even on a psychedelic scale sure. this yeah. is They're where you're able to process things <laughs> yeah. through higher levels of consciousness but you need a guide correct i want to see people so i'm like okay yeah come to my ketamine infusion center we're going to assess you and then we're going to we're going to give you a low dose ketamine infusion and then we're going to send you out and like do you feel better do you feel great? Do you feel better? Like if you're going to bring up all this shit and you're going to toss the salad, you really do need someone to tell you what's going on in there and help you with that. You do. And you need someone that you can build trust with. You need a community of people. So we can't just send these people out, but it takes a special person to be a guide because you can be a doormat. You can be a crutch. No, 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 sweetheart. I'm telling you to learn how to skate on your own. I'm telling you to learn how to walk on your own, but let's, let me be a sounding board for you to process this shit. Right? So I, I think that, that is hugely powerful like helping people in that way because what we're doing right now isn't working right self-medicating medicating with with you know pharmaceuticals there's a place for pharmaceuticals i see some people who are organically schizophrenic who really really do right. need like it's a cost benefit analysis right. this is the only way you can function in society so we're not saying there's not a place for them but we're saying that the ability that they're prescribed you know, or the, the, excuse me, the amount that they're prescribed in is ridiculous. We've got to really start doing the work. I'm, I'm seeing kids being prescribed Zoloft mm-hmm. at like 12 years old yeah. in Adderall. I'm like, yeah. dude, this is insane. You got Your to brain's kids, not even fully formed yet. How can you do this uh, to the children of America? And going mm-hmm. back to that epidemic, you know what I mean? If, if America is just going to 
just medicate a child who is just figuring it out and then processing things through and who is going through maybe an upheaval through bullying and mm-hmm. a self-identity crisis now they're they can't even process things because now they're all fogged up and gummed up with well they're not even allowing like they're not even allowing the neurotransmitters to form and line up yeah. they're not even allowing that the organic evolution of your brain neurochemistry like it has to evolve just like everything else yeah i did a little stint in primary care the number of men on adderall and testosterone was staggering you want to talk about rage right now why we have so much rage in our society the number of men every single i mean i saw i saw 100 patients a day I didn't prescribe them. I was in there doing a stint and all the doctors that were already there, mm. Adderall, testosterone, Adderall, testosterone. I'm going to make you feel like a million dollars. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> and then women on antidepressants. Yeah. Because we can't do Zannies anymore. Can't do benzos. So we'll do antidepressants. We're going to put you on Bispar and Zoloft and Zoloft. Yeah, why can't you do benzos anymore? They're highly addicting. Mm. They're highly addicting. So we really set people up to have seizures. If they, you know, God forbid, if I start from the withdrawal. Yeah. If I've got you addicted to Xanax because it works great for you. And then I go out of town for Memorial Day weekend and you run out of your Zannies, you're going to come to the ER. We're not going to give them to you. So guess what? You're going to go home and have a seizure on a Saturday while I'm, you know, I'm the provider that prescribed it for you. Mm. And I'm in Catalina Island with my family. I forgot about you. <laughs> You're out of your Xanax. I'm still trying to process the combination of Adderall and testosterone because I've never yeah, I've taken Adderall, but I've never taken testosterone. But you know that's so interesting. Just like, I mean, John brought up the rat race, and you know, I'm obsessed with the idea of masculinity. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure nowadays to achieve. Yes. You know what I mean? And I told Leah the other day. I opened up to her and I said, speaking of worthiness, I was like. On, a, on any given day, I'm always telling myself I should be doing more, you know? Ugh, and my like, husband, I'm, I do that all the time. I'm really trying to manifest out of a place of abundance yes. because I feel like so many Americans are hooked on scarcity. We all see this like Guilty. pizza and it's like, I got to get my piece before it's all gone versus like, you know what? I'm just going to chill by myself and find the ingredients to make my own fucking pizza. Or even like living in lack. Like I don't have that. Right. I don't have, I don't That's have, I don't have the pizza that I want. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I want that pizza. You know I what? It. And it was like, <laughs> I wanted a son for three years and I got him. And now when I'm losing my shit in the middle of the night because he won't stop crying and I just changed three diapers in a row. I remind myself, dude, you wanted this. You know, you've been praying for this. Yeah. You got it. Don't spoil it. Or you know what you can say, Trevor? Even maybe just let yourself and be a little kinder to yourself. Be even (laughs) fucking kinder to yourself and say, you know what? This fucking sucks. I'm really mad. I don't like this. I feel uncomfortable. I'm so tired. And allow that feeling to wash over you and be like that. And however long it lasts, it lasts for. But God, I love my son. Isn't he so cute? Shit, I wonder what he's going to sound like. I wonder what his voice is going to sound like. Don't force the feeling away and be like, we all want to feel grateful. But I also feel like we don't allow ourselves to be angry and no, mad. No, you're and absolutely sad right. And like hostile. I'm not. I'm you not embrace it. I'm only learning it. now how to hold my anger. Yeah. I'm only learning now how to not project it. How to not, you know, uh, make it everyone else's problem. So I love. I love that because here's something I tell guys in their relationships. I can say. I, I say to them all the time. There can be two rights. Because so often we're competitive and yeah. we're defensive, right? So if someone says a right, we're going to prove that they're wrong. Sure. I love in our relationship saying, you know what, Leah, you're right. And I think I'm right too. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I can hold space for one uncomfortable yeah. emotion and then all of this other 
stuff shit, too. Shit that sucks, sucks, dude. It sucks. <laughs> and you're going to find yourself. And this is where I, I've, I've been in a lot of suck for the last year or two. That's a whole nother podcast. But, and you do find yourself in situations and seasons of life yeah. where the suck is unavoidable right. and it's prolonged. And so it's about the work you either did or that you're going to need to do to get you through the suck. Yeah, and how you see the suck. It's, yeah. it's an opportunity for yourself to grow. And when you grow from, from it and you embrace, fully embrace it, you begin to see different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And But a lot of times it's, you know, we're such in a fast-paced program here in our society where you don't have time to even process or integrate the experience for yourself. I love that you called it a program. I love that. I well, love I mean, I just, it, that it, resonates and, for me personally on so many levels. Like, like the Matrix is another, the Matrix. It's, it's another uh, <laughs> yes. documentary, right? Like of who, what we do. It's it's without a doubt what it is, and it, you know, if, think, if we think about the programs we're set up to use in our society, it's already faulty, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can get out and like, extract yourself from that program, you realize, holy shit, I've been programmed for failure my entire mm-hmm. life. The way I've been thinking about myself, I've been programmed. To you know, be criticized by my parents, being criticized by my my teachers at school, mm-hmm. to thinking that I, you know if I'm getting a D, I'm yes. a failure, and in the end, that person's thought process is all upon this program of you know I'm trying to prove myself, and in the end, that may not that math class I'm not I'm not a mathematician I'm an art student, mm-hmm. so these things these programs that we have in, enveloped and ingrained into us are the core root of our identity that. Mm-hmm may not even exist in the first place. And you bring up an amazing point because you talk about reflecting back on your programming while you're also simultaneously being programmed still. For sure. Continuously. (laughs) And that's true. It's still happening. And you know, I think one thing you bring up that's so beautiful, and this is what I want to tell people, when you really tell somebody you matter, that's a platitude, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the valued actions that are associated with saying you matter and all those things that you're yeah. complimenting someone on. That's really what matters, right? That's that's how they really feel your authenticity. Yeah. We talked about resonating on a frequency. I was telling Trevor, they did this experiment where they took twenty five thousand people, put them in a room. I'm I, listen. I'm a master's prepared prepared provider. I should be able to to go find this study and tell you if it's valid or not. But I'm not going to because I liked it. I'm just going <laughs> to love on it anyway. 25,000 people in a room and they measured frequencies. I have no idea how they measured these frequencies, but I know that back 20 years ago, the frequency that would have mattered to me and my generation would have been love. That's Mm. what we were seeking. We were all seeking love. We wanted love and connection. That's what we wanted. It's not that anymore. I found that astounding. I was like, no, but the greatest of these is love and love, love, love. No, it isn't. The most powerful frequency that vibrated off these 25,000 people was authenticity. Mm. And I'm like, wow, have we ever evolved into a new era of things that we value? People want to be heard. They want to be, they're seeking, they're seeking validation for their feelings all Mm. the time in everything we do. And we're all seeking, we're all trying to identify this trauma that we're supposed to have, Mm. right? Like, oh, there must be a core trauma. There's a core wound. And for some people there is, there really is. And for other people, there isn't. They're death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm. It's the time that you were in reading circle in kindergarten and the boy that you liked, you know, was real quiet and the teacher was talking and the boy that you liked was sitting next to you and you farted when you were five and yeah. everyone laughed at you, right? That, that actually really happened, happened. To my, yeah. happened to my daughter. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Soph. <laughs> um, or the promotion that you didn't get mm. or 
the time that your mom looked at you and you dropped a plate and she just gave you some criminal side eye. Like it's all those little tiny things. It doesn't have to be a core wound. Yeah. So when people are sitting there trying to do the work and going, why am I anxious? Why do I have these maladaptive coping me- mechanisms? Why do I hate myself? Why do I hate my partner? It doesn't have to be sexual abuse, even though a lot of people are sexually abused. It doesn't have to be abandonment issues. It can be death by a thousand paper cuts and all of those little detours that you took along the way to cope from those feelings of inadequacy. Mm. And so once you acknowledge that there doesn't need to be some major life altering event for you to feel like shit, you can really like the magic is just in the work that you're avoiding. Right. right. Oh, sure. I just reposted that. I love that. Oh, quote. Yeah, yeah. I love it. What, Lewis, Lewis, House. Think, oh, love him every day. Love him. Yeah. Right? In the end, it's like, what does it come down to you know our behavior you know and like and and look at your behavioral patterns too Mm -hmm. you know i always feel that behavioral patterns is the key to opening up a different version of a perspective and an identity underneath yeah and when you get to that point you know you realize there was a lot of paper cuts i mean being a rookie is a a year of paper cuts yes and uh (laughs) but it can really affect your sense of self for sure you can emerge from that rookie year of the fire service going I hate myself. I'm not worthy. I'm not even good enough to do this job. And there's no major trauma, but it profoundly affected you and how you see yourself as a human being. Oh, I know guys that they were bullied by someone 20 years ago. And if you bring up that bully's name, they're right back in it. Yeah. And it's not like we would all look at that and go, okay, you're a bully. Big deal. It was profoundly powerful event to that person well in a lot of cases, it's the hero. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a young man's hero that bullies them. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it has a significant impact, but I was going to say that, um, you know, our philosophy, our paradigm is uh, break you down and build you up, yeah. but we don't have um, a consistent, you know, idea of what that finished product looks like. And so and, and you're responsible for people's yeah, like, like identity. It's you honestly, don't, don't that. it's honestly yeah. very reckless to break someone down before you even know what they're made of yeah right so i try to respect a lot of people especially if they got hired later because i you know i got hired at 31 and i had all this life experience and so i I just want to know what they're coming in with before i tell them that everything they've ever done is shit because you know they don't know about the chainsaw (laughs) you gotta give people that respect like if you respect people it, it shows a lot in your own character you know, and I was raised uh, to respect people. You know, I respected my elders. I respected my friends. You know, I always, I always value a part of my own characteristics is loyalty. Like my own loyalty, I know for sure that all of my relationships are built on that, mm-hmm. and I can fall up, I can fall back on that, and it's because I respect people. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if I have respect for myself, true respect, then I'm gonna set boundaries. I'm gonna make certain parameters for myself to make sure that I'm showing you and I'm getting the same in return. Yeah. And in the end, like as far as like healthcare workers and things like that, and you're learning how to respect people and be kind and get out of your own head, your own self-righteousness at three in the morning when Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of the street helping some homeless person out who's got feet pain. You know what I mean? And I just have to look at myself still again. And it's, I always see myself as a reflection in someone else every single time I'm seeing someone out there. 100%. And, and also like my family too, you know, and it's hard sometimes I get caught up and I get stuck, but that's just how I got to look at myself, yeah. you know, in the end. And it's hard. It's fucking hard to do that. And day in, the day underworld out. of the city of Los Angeles, it's so wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So it's coming up 
on yeah. that time. Yeah. I just want to, you know, this is the first time we've talked and I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and also just for being a role model, right? Cause you, I can tell you care about your profession and you're, you're trying to inspire others. Right. And I just recently had a baby at Hogue in Irvine and these L and D nurses inspired me to do better. Good. That's awesome. And so you. it's, it's nice that you, you know, you seem to manage your, your personal philosophies with the bureaucratic, you know, protocols that you have to follow very well. So I, I just want to compliment you, you on being, whole we you must know, be vibrating balanced. on the same frequency because i was like i haven't i haven't even said thank you to them for yeah. what they do <laughs> <laughs> no we get thanked all the time it's, no I, I, I like i should have been like and thank you guys yeah no no no, no. but we're all in this together yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying you know be that person that doesn't miss the opportunity to make a slight difference in someone who's going through a crisis and that's hard to do every day and i gotta be honest with you you really you don't know how you show up for someone every day. You might think, God, I don't have it today. I, like yesterday, last night, I was just really going through a lot of shit. And I, my, in my own personal life, and I, you know, I went to work and I can't tell you, I had like four patients that were like, you're an angel, you're an angel. Thank you. And I was mm -hmm. like, shit, I didn't even feel like I yeah. was even resonating. But when you practice showing up for people every day, you kind of just do it. For you sure. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. You guys are amazing. This was such a joy. And oh, I'm so good. grateful. And I hope you guys will have me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Aaron, so much gratitude for you. I really appreciate you. Yeah, Thank we you. want we want to end um, you know, our relationship with like a, a positive ending. So hopefully we have you on and it's like, hey, <laughs> yes. everything turned around. I'll tell you know, I've got my therapeutic ketamine <laughs> clinic and I'm changing lives. Oh, so Aaron, awesome. thank you so much. It's good to meet you. you. You guys are fantastic. Thanks again. All right, guys. So um, this wraps up this episode. Thank you so much, Aaron Woodward. You are such an angel. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, like, it was it was crazy how I just kind of overheard you, and I was just like, I want her on the podcast. Yeah. You know? And it was it, your passion. It really shows. You know, even though you don't see it, we see it. Oh, so thank you. Uh, thank you so much, and everyone listening, please tune in on uh, Spotify and Apple. And we've got a lot of new stuff coming up. We got drills on things to understand certain simple concepts. We, uh, Trevor just did one on gut health. And we're looking to get some video um, content coming out pretty soon here. And tune in next week. We have some uh, really cool guests to talk about some more behavioral health stuff. And thank you very much.